everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're broadcasting from our studios in that part of Wuchin, occupied Ohlone territory, now known to settlers as Berkeley, via that part of Bay Miwok territory, now known to settlers as Pleasant Hill. Tonight, we'll hear some great classical music from not the usual suspects, mostly, but from composers and musicians of African descent. Before that, we'll sound a call of action for tomorrow on behalf of women's reproductive rights. We also ask for your help in keeping this listener-sponsored radio station humming with good stuff you'll find nowhere else. That's tonight on Full Circle, KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sharon Peterson. Keep it locked. Once again, welcome to Full Circle. As promised, we have some uniquely beautiful music ahead of us. But, thanks to a certain leaked draft decision, we must first sound out a call to action. Two events are happening tomorrow in San Francisco and Oakland. In San Francisco, a community-organized March for Reproductive Justice, a.k.a. Bands Off Our Bodies, happens tomorrow, Saturday, May 14th. Masks are recommended. This is an in-person march. No virtual events. Please meet at Grove and Hyde Street in San Francisco's Civic Center at 10.45 a.m. There will be no rally or speakers at this event. The march will begin at 11 a.m. sharp and will end at Embarcadero Plaza. Again, there will be no rally or speakers at the end of the march. Marchers are asked to disperse at Embarcadero. For more info, please visit womensmarchsf.org. To RSVP, links to Eventbrite and Facebook will be posted on kpfaapprentice.org after the show. Tomorrow in Oakland, a Bands Off Our Bodies march is scheduled from 11 p.m. to 1 p.m. For location and other details on the Oakland march, you will need to visit and RSVP at plannedparenthoodaction.org. So, will one day of marching end the threat not only to abortion rights, but to all of the rights that are currently under threat for LGBTQIA+, for interracial couples, for other vulnerable groups? I fervently wish I could say yes. I cannot. But what marches do very well is to provide an opportunity to confirm that you, that we, are not alone. This is a chance to meet others who may join you in organizing. We're going to need a lot of that. Event links will be posted on kpfaapprentice.org shortly after tonight's show. And even as we speak, and even as we speak, new bands off our bodies' actions keep popping up all over the Bay Area for tomorrow, May 14th. To find an action near you, please visit PlannedParenthoodAction.org. Now, let's take a little trip aboard our own virtual time machine. 
Classical music still lives, and it has life far beyond Bach, Debussy, Mozart, et al., far beyond old Europe, around the world. Classical music is still being born and reborn as we speak. But right now, we go back in time to the roots of classical music created within the African diaspora, back to the first known classical composer of African descent. Despite rumors, we're not talking Ludwig van Beethoven, whose heritage is still under dispute and who was born too late anyway. No. Tonight, we visit Joseph Bologna, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, resident of 18th century Paris, born on the French Caribbean island of Guadeloupe, 1745. President John Adams called Saint-Georges the most accomplished man in Europe. Please visit the link at kpfaapprentice.org to learn the many reasons why. Here is Saint-Georges' overture, Symphony Opus 11, number 1, in D major.
welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. We just heard Joseph Pologne, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, Symphony Opus 11, Number 1 in D Major, provided by ClassicalFM.com. Mainstream radio stations do not do what we do, bring news and history that would otherwise be ignored. The wisdom of thought leaders, past and present. Tips on healing, on life, on ways to build community. Plus, KPFA and the First Voice Apprenticeship Program give new voices a chance to be heard and to make their communities be heard. We do not take commercial funding. We do not want it. KPFA is sponsored, funded solely by our listeners. We are beholden to you, not to big whatever. Tonight, we ask you, our sponsors, to pledge your support to keep this station running and improving. Now, we know times are weird and getting weirder. We also know that that's a gross understatement. For a lot of us, times are downright tough. All we ask is that you give what you can, if you can. Of course, the biggest gift we offer in return is KPFA itself, our work and our content. But we'd like to give you even more. Therefore, for any level of donation, yep, any amount, we offer an extremely timely gift of inspiration. The Politics of Sex a collection of powerful women speakers who busted myths and broke the silence about the reality of women's lives. Gloria Steinem gives a talk on sexism and racism from 1973, sadly still relevant today. Angela Davis, on her book Blues Legacies in Black Feminism, talks about Gertrude Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, and Billie Holiday and how, through their music, they spoke out about women's experience, plus plus Eve Ensler's call to action for girls everywhere to speak up and become the women they were meant to be. After you donate, we will email you a link to the politics of sex. Just click, and you shall have it. Once again, this is yours for any level of donation. Some of us are truly fortunate. If that happens to be you, our banned book bundle has returned, this time with new books in the special banned books library tote bag. This item is available for a $300 donation. To donate, please visit kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. That's kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. Thank you to all the people on the line. Next up, we hear from Gloria Steinem as she speaks on organizing, speaking out, and Ms. Magazine in this excerpt from a speech Steinem gave at the College of Marin in 1973. After nearly a half a century, this speech is still relevant. We don't come to you tonight as, uh, as leaders of anything. We, we find ourselves in this kind of old think situation with us up here lecturing to you. Sorry about that. In the beginning, it used to be 12 or 20 people sitting around and we could talk in a more natural kind of way. But now the women's movement and the coalition of movements for change has come a long way, and now there are a lot more people. We've been worrying tonight about what to say to you, because we understand that there are people in all different stages of you know, knowing and learning about and caring about this great change that's happening. And um, some people tell us that everybody here is very sophisticated here, and everybody's you know deep into the movement and knows a very great deal and so on. Hello, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then somebody else says no, they know a lot but they aren't doing a damn thing. 
<laughs> and uh, yet a third person says, wait a minute, and the, uh, the college library doesn't even have a, a very good collection of uh, feminist literature uh, or black literature or, you know, the literature of excluded uh, groups. And so we're a little bit confused. And we, we're sorry if we end up uh, repeating things that you know already, or if, on the other hand, we aren't basic enough, but we'll do our best. No group of this size should get away without being an organizing meeting. If, if we come today and there's no trouble tomorrow, then we haven't, we might as well not have come. Right? <laughs> so uh, please be thinking about any announcements, and we do, we, we do have uh, some, some people who are going to, to speak at the end. I, one, one of the big problems about the movement is that from a reading of the press, one gets a very trivialized version of it. And even now that they've decided that we're not the hula hoop, you know, they don't talk about burning bras anymore, I hope. Are they still talking about burning bras here? You're kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody, listen, nobody I know of ever burned a bra. The only, uh, <laughs> the only, uh, well, there were a bunch of women, Florence Kennedy among them. She and a bunch of other women picketed the Miss America Meatpacking Contest in 1968. Uh, and they, they threatened to burn a bra, a steno pad, a dust mop, um, an apron, and other symbols of oppression, but they never did it because they couldn't get a fire permit. So, you know, we've been much too docile for too, for too long, much too law-abiding, but that period is about over. Well, even so, we, we still are confronted with the idea that uh, the women's movement is about equal pay for equal work, child care centers, the Equal Rights Amendment, and maybe abortion, and that's it. And uh, we confronted that with a magazine because people would say, well, you've done one issue, you know. I mean, now what are you going to do? I mean, you've said it all, right? That's it. So, and I think that that, that is a problem. It's, it's even a problem for, for those many women here who are very active in the movement because we get so focused on our everyday lives and everyday problems that we forget the depth of the change we're talking about. So let me tell you an anthropological story. It seems that in answer to all of those people who say, well, essentially, who say that... Um, Men must be superior because they've always been superior. You know, the kind of, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich argument. It seems that, in fact, for the first half of human history, women were considered, the first-class citizens were considered superior beings, were the gods. And we see residual human, residual women goddesses in most of the great religions. There was this system called gynocracy, not matriarchy, which came later and imitated patriarchy. For the first 5,000 years, from roughly 12,000 to 8,000 BC, the entire first half of human history. Now, much of the reason that women were considered the first-class citizens was because we bore the children. We've somehow allowed ourselves to get talked into the notion that bearing children is an inferior function and makes us inferior, but for the first, for that whole first half of history, it was considered superior. It was a very envied act. Men imitated it in their religious ceremonies and still do in many tribes around the world. Part of the reason it was so envied and so worshiped was its mystery. It was thought that women bore fruit like trees when we were ripe. 
uh, cause and effect hadn't been discovered, paternity hadn't been discovered yet. We just heard a speech from Gloria Steinem from 1973. The full speech is just one part of our donor gift, The Politics of Sex. This is a small sample of our gift to you for any donation you can give. Please visit kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-HEY-KPFA, and it's yours. Now, back to the music. Our time machine now lands in the 20th century. Irene Britton Smith was born in Chicago in 1907. As a child, she wrote short piano pieces, then added violin to her repertoire at age 14. Her family could not afford to send her to Northwestern University for advanced musical education. So, to make ends meet, Britton Smith became a teacher, but continued to study music part-time. In 1943, she earned her B.A. at the American Conservatory, studied composition at the prestigious Juilliard School of Music in 1946, and continued studying. She also kept on composing until 1962. I love the following piece. It feels so light and free. Here's Irene Britton Smith's Violin and Piano, Third Movement, played by pianist Samantha Ege, and special guest Eugene Kahn.
Hello again. This is Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. We just heard Irene Britton-Smith's Violin and Piano, Third Movement, played by pianist Samantha Ege, and special guest Virgin Kong. I'm selfishly tempted to play that piece again. It lifts me to a better place. But we still have amazing music ahead. Plus, right now, I need to talk about two other things I love. KPFA and the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. First Voice helped me find my own voice, as they have done for so many others over more than three decades. The First Voice Apprenticeship Program offers training in all aspects of radio production in the interest of building community. When you support KPFA, you also support the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, which produces Full Circle, this very show. I'm told we need to bring in uh, about $1,500 in donations this hour. Whether it comes in lots of small donations or a few large donations or a mix, we love them all. Tonight, as part of our Spring Fun Drive, we offer you two gifts for any. That's right, any donation you can give. Our first gift, as always, is us, KPFA. You will keep on getting info, news, and music that you won't find anywhere else. You'll also find insights into culture, community, life, and health. Second, you will receive, via email, a link to Politics and Sex, our exclusive collection of inspirational words from the likes of Gloria Steinem, Angela Davis, and Eve Ensler. These women were among the pioneers who exposed the realities of women's lives. As we all know, all too well, their inspiration is sorely needed today. To keep this listener-sponsored station, the first in the nation, running, we now ask for your support. Please give what you can, but only what you can. If you can spare $300 for our banned books library book bag, which now holds new books, that would be great. But all donations are warmly accepted and honored. If you donate during this hour, that's a vote of support for Full Circle and for the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. To donate, please visit kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. And again, that's kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Angela Davis introduces her book. Blues, Legacies, and Black Feminism, at an event in Santa Monica in 1998. The blues gave poor black women one of the very few spaces where they could express themselves to tell their truths. I guess what I'll try to do is situate the work I did on this book, Blues, Legacies, and Black Feminism, within a context of women's history, within a context of trying to uncover women's history from marginalized communities, from hidden sources. Because as we think about our relationship to history and as we continually construct our history, there are certain aspects of that history that are never supposed to be discovered, that are supposed to remain hidden. When we talk about the contributions that poor women, poor black women made, we're not supposed to acknowledge them as having been agents of history, and certainly not of having played a role in shaping what we might call feminist historical traditions. 
And in a sense, to, to talk about women like Gertrude Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith uh, and Billie Holiday in the same breath as one uses the word feminist uh, disturbs people. It disturbs people who have a certain notion of what it means to be feminist on the one side, and it disturbs people who are totally opposed to feminism on the other side. And I think that's what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> you know, although I never imagined myself to be a person who would sort of trouble people and shake people up. It seems that that's been my destiny. <laughs> it was sort of offered to me. Um, and so in another way, I've tried to do that with this book. I've tried to, to explore our relationship to history in different ways from the ones to which we are accustomed. I tried to talk about or think about, you know, questions of sexuality, for example, within the kind of political context that we've, you know, learned how to uh, establish today, and to use that to raise questions about the history that um, we often don't acknowledge. The history of the blues. I know that some people who do, who are musicologists and music historians, uh, might be upset about a book like this because it doesn't exactly conform to the standards that have been set by the musicologists and the blues historians. And I actually tried to approach the music not as a musicologist, not as an expert, but as a listener, as someone who um, believes that music shapes our lives in fundamental ways, often ways that we do not acknowledge. Music helps to create the, the climate in which we live. It, 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 it helps to shape our views about the world. And so it occurred to me that if I were going to seriously try to look at history from the vantage point of poor women, from the vantage point of working class women, I would have to find some texts that are different from the written texts that we normally use when we do this kind of research. Because the women I was concerned about didn't have access to the institutions that produced those literary texts perhaps didn't have the skills required to produce them in the way that we are accustomed to receiving them. But of course, during the 1920s, black women recorded hundreds and hundreds of blues songs. The 1920s, um, was considered the era of the classic blues. It was the era during which women recorded songs about virtually anything you can imagine. We just heard a speech from Angela Davis from 1998. The full speech is included in our donor gift, The Politics of Sex, 
And yes, you can have the full speech and so much more for any donation you can give. Just visit kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. I'm going to give you one more sample from our Spring Fun Drive gift to all of our listener sponsors. Eve Ensler, author of The Vagina Monologues, speaks about her book, I Am an Emotional Creature, The Secret Life of Girls Around the World, during a KPFA event at King Middle School in 2010. Ensler is interviewed by former KPFA morning show host Amy Allison. Secrets are for a while, and then they need to be broken open. Women know know that. Yeah, they do. (laughs) We tell secrets, and then we tell other people secrets. Yes. (laughs) But not if they don't want you to. I don't tell secrets if people... I'm good at holding them. I used to be bad at it, because I used to... When I was younger, I used to tell people secrets to garner attention and love and prove that I knew people better than they did. But now I'm actually able to hold secrets. <laughs> it's taken a while. <laughs> uh, are, is, is one of the things you're trying to get girls to do is to, is to be able to relate to their secrets differently, is to learn how to transform themselves. Well, I don't know that I'm trying to get girls to do anything. Do you know what I mean? I think girls know what to do. I think I'm just trying to, to serve and pay attention and follow and love and cherish and honor and respect girls, you know? I think, um, I mean, this book, hopefully, you know, people, somebody said, are you now a spokesperson for girls? And I was like, oh, God, no. I don't want to be a spokesperson for anybody. You know, I, what, I, what I feel is that the girl in me needs space here and needs room here, and I want her to breathe and be alive. And a lot of mothers that I've been talking to who have been seeing the play keep coming up to me going, I want my girl back. I want my girl back. I want to be emotional. I want to be here. I want to be present. I want and I think, you know, particularly people in my generation and older than me, you know, we were not allowed to be our intense, wild, passionate, emotional selves, you know? And, and I feel like girls will free us if we let them. You know, so many mothers I talk to, they're like, oh my God, I've got a teenage daughter. And I'm like, what a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing. You know, if we see it differently, it's sort of like seeing menopause as the end as opposed to the beginning, you know? And, and, and for me, menopause was absolutely the beginning of, of this amazing life, you know? And, and I think it's true with teenage girls. You know, we've been taught, oh my God, when your girls get teenagers, it's gonna be so difficult. They're gonna disagree with you. They're, you're not gonna understand them. That's just a story that's being told. What teenage girls can do is free us. They can free us. They can open us up again. They can remind us of our bigness and our passion and our devotion and our sexuality and our madness. And, and I love being around teenage girls. I just, I, I, you know, just being in these rehearsals, I just, they're like, Eve, you're just loving it too much, you know? <laughs> but, but on a certain level, I think the reason I'm so happy lately is because I'm spending so much time with girls. And, and so I really urge parents not to see teenagers as as threats or, as, or, or, or things you have to manage or fix or control, but, but really as the pathway to your own liberation, you know. I'm going to go to another question. You are inspirational. I love you. That's, it does say that. Uh, 
<laughs> if you ever felt the need to underemphasize your gender in order to be heard? To underemphasize? No. <laughs> I want to. I, do do the Hillary Clintons and the Madeleine Albrights of the world un, underemphasize their gender? You think? Oh Lordy. Um, we go on to the you can next say pass. pass. Uh, I don't think I want to go there. Let's <laughs> moving on. <laughs> All right. Can you can you speak of how to engage young women in building a uh, women's movement for justice, equality, peace? In other words, are you? It sounds like you're making activists with this with this movement, and uh, and what's the best way to do that if that's your goal? Well, you know, I think what this is what I think. You know, having spent 12 years working nonstop to end violence against women and girls and trying to work in various quarters, you know, whether it's political quarters or the UN or just all the the various sectors. What I now believe, and I can only speak for me, is change will come from the people, period. Um, I believe in activism. I believe in people changing reality. And I particularly believe in vagina warriors. And I will describe what I is a vagina warrior. You know, all across the planet, if, it's true that one out of three women are beaten and raped. There are a lot of, lot of women and girl survivors and male survivors, men who have been through enormous violence themselves. And I think if you are willing as a survivor to feel your grief and feel your sadness and feel your sorrow and, 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 and your rage and pass through it, what often happens is you then become devoted to ending violence for everyone. Mm. And your struggle to do that is not based on your desire for monetary gain or for political gain, but really because you want other people not to experience what you've experienced. We just heard a speech by Eve Ensler from 2010. The full speech is a small part of our gift to all donors, the politics of sex. You can have the full speech for any donation you can give. Just visit kpfa.org or 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Clarence Cameron White was born in 1880 in Clarksville, Tennessee. He started playing violin at age eight. As a composer, White started out as a neo-romanticist, but as years went on, he drew more and more inspiration from traditional African-American music. Here is Clarence Cameron White's On the Bayou from his Opus 18, From the Cotton Fields, performed by Quartet ES, Quartet Arrangement by Rita Porphyris. Thank you. 
We just heard Clarence Cameron White's On the Bayou from his Opus 18 from the Cotton Fields, performed by Quartet ES, Quartet Arrangement by Rita Porphyris. Philippa Duke Schuyler was born in 1931. She was a child prodigy, born to George S. Schuyler, a noted black essayist and journalist, and Josephine Cogdell, one-time silent film Bathing Beauty, and a descendant of a former owner of enslaved people. Schuyler's life was tumultuous, to put it mildly. You can learn more about her life at kpfaapprentice.org after the show. Here is Philippa Schuyler's Five Little Pieces, taken from her Nine Little Pieces, written in 1938, when she was all of seven years old. The music is played by John McLaughlin Williams.
We just heard Philippa Schuyler's Five Little Pieces, taken from Nine Little Pieces, written in 1938, and played by John McLaughlin Williams. Well, our time machines come full circle, and we've returned to the bad old 21st century. Can't be helped, I'm afraid. But we do still have some good things in this world. Let us all cherish them and protect and defend them as we can. One of the best good things is music. Let's get back to that. Meredith Azinma Ramsey, known as Azinma, is a classically trained hip-hop violinist and arranger. She often remixes and reinvents old classical standards. So, yes, I did dismiss Beethoven earlier in the show, largely because his ancestry remains under dispute. However, thanks to Azinma, here he is. But, dare I say, improved? You be the judge. Here is Azinma with Beethoven Pleads the Fifth.
We just heard Azinma and Beethoven Pleads the Fifth. Coming up next, traditional opera. <laughs> no. When it comes to Pamela Z, there's no way I can say that with a straight face on the radio. Pamela Z's work does indeed employ classical operatic bel canto. She also uses every electronic trick in the book. She loops, she layers, she alters her voice. I find the following piece to be both meditative and exhilarating, and it is unique. Here is Pamela Z's echolocation. Yeah. <laughs> 
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. We just heard Pamela Z's echolocation. This just in. Medicine for Nightmares Bookstore and Gallery presents Resistance, a native art exhibit featuring the work of Ray Bacasegua Valdez. The exhibit is happening now and going through May 31st. By the way, Medicine for Nightmares Bookstore and Gallery is owned by Josiah Luis Aldorete, famed poet and a graduate apprentice. Artist Ray Bacasegua Valdez was born in Reno, Nevada, and is currently based in Austin, Texas, after living in San Francisco for a number of years. He is of Nahua and Yaqui ancestry and is a member of the Texas Band of Yaqui Indians. And he is the director of the Northern Nevada chapter of the American Indian Movement. A triumph Valdez was instrumental in bringing about due to his work as the director of the American Indian Movement, Northern Nevada. Valdez's art often celebrates the feminine spirit and the powerful leadership of women in the resistance. It is a powerful example of storytelling for change. Medicine for Nightmares Bookstore and Gallery is located at 3036 24th Street in San Francisco. I think we've got time to squeeze in one more sweet piece of music. Joshua Coyne is a young composer and violinist who performed at Barack Obama's Stand for Change rally in February 2008, among many other achievements. Joshua Coyne sends us off tonight with his piece, Daydream. Daydreams, we all need them. just heard Joshua Coyne's Daydream. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for links to all the musicians featured on tonight's show, plus links to tomorrow's women's marches for reproductive rights, bands off our bodies, in San Francisco and Oakland. Once again, please donate what you can at kpfa.org 
or 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. We cannot keep on doing what we do without our community's support. Shout out to the Full Circle crew, our executive producer, Ms. M, our technical director, Freewill and Franklin, and Joy Moore, our production consultant. And everyone, please remember while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity, and stay tuned to KPFA. Up next, La Onda Bajita.